Coming up on The Exam Room. The average American could live about 14 extra years if they optimize their lifestyle. And by the way, that margin is growing. Life expectancy has dropped about two and a half years in the last three years. And it continues to drop while the rest of the industrialized world grows. And the lessons that Blue Zones offer us can help us get most of those years back. You know, it's very vogue now to look for a biohack or some sort of an anti-aging nostrum to help us live longer, better lives. And none of those have been proven to add even a year of life expectancy. Whereas we know that the different characteristics of the blue zones, the different lessons they offer us, individually offer us up to eight years each and collectively offer us 14 extra years of life expectancy as manifested by these people are actually getting these years. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Odessa, Texas, San Francisco, California, and Nagoya, Japan. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 72 of season 6, number 468 overall. So what would you do with another 14 years of life and good years at that? We're talking about years that are filled with laughter and love and maybe even a little adventure too. What would you do with that? Because look, 14 years, that is a long time and that can be your time. And today, this time right now, it's about unveiling the secrets of living a long life. Unveiling these secrets from some of the longest living communities on the planet, communities known as Blue Zones. And that's why I am so excited to have the man behind the Blue Zones project, Dan Butner back with us again today on The Exam Room. His new book, The Blue Zones, Secrets for Living a Longer Life, is out now, and a brand new docu-series on Netflix called Live to 100 premieres August 30th. And so today, in addition to unlocking those secrets of longevity, we're also going to revisit the original five Blue Zones to see how they've changed in the last 20 years since his research began. And I say the original five because Dan is now unveiling a sixth Blue Zone, another community where longevity is the norm, and another example of how things could be, maybe even how things should be, and how you can take those lessons and apply them to your life and create your own Blue Zone at home. But before we get to that, before we get to that, a couple of big dates on the calendar that I'm thrilled to share with you. Just announced hot off the press, I'm going to be coming to Omaha on September 23rd for the Healthy for a Lifetime conference. Going to be moderating a panel there. And of course, back in Washington, D.C. on November 7th, the next exam room live and in person, a night honoring the Esselstyn family, the whole family. Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, Rip, Anne, and Jane, they will all be there. And I hope you will be too. 
More on that coming up after the interview with Dan, but you can get your tickets as you listen right now at pcrm.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes. And if you're all fired up to live longer, you're fired up about today's episode, you feel like you'll raise your health IQ by a point or two, be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you get your shows and also leave that five-star rating and a nice review. That's how we can continue to make the world a healthy place together and really get the information to those who need it the most, those who are struggling with their health. And I do greatly appreciate that. Links to do all of that also are in the episode notes. But right now, let's chat with Dan Butner. Talk about the Blue Zones and living longer and the discovery of a new Blue Zone. Let's get to it right now on The Exam Room. How are you, Dan? I'm fantastic. You know, I, I'm, I actually live the Blue Zones lifestyle. I, I feel terrific. And, um, you know, it feels good to, to finally see Blue Zones kind of enter public consciousness. And, and, you know, like every overnight success, it's taken 20 years, but it was a worthwhile journey. I bet. You know, it is funny, 20 years, but in the span of our, you know, human existence is not even a grain of sand, right? But so much has changed over the course of those 20 years as well with this book, you know, that's coming out here on August 29th. By the way, there's a link to pick up your copy right now in the show description and in the episode notes. There's a lot of phenomenal updates here. What have we learned over the course of 20 years in terms of longevity? Probably most um, saliently that, that uh, the average American could live about 14 extra years if they optimize their lifestyle. Um, and by the way, that margin is growing. Life expectancy has dropped about two and a half years in the last three years. And it continues to drop while the rest of the um, industrialized world grows. And the lessons that Blue Zones offer us can help us get most of those years back. You know, it's very vogue now to look for a biohack or, or, or look for some sort of an anti-aging nostrum to help us live longer, better lives. Uh, and, and none of those have been proven to add even a year of life expectancy. Whereas we know that the, the different characteristics in the blue zones, the different lessons they offer us individually offer us up to eight years each and collectively offer us 14 extra years of life expectancy as manifested by these people are actually getting these years. So I'm very pleased to bring these to light in the blue zone secrets to living longer and, and this new Netflix documentary. Yeah. So let's nerd out a little bit when it comes to longevity here. Uh, put on your nerd hat. Let's just dive right in. The water's fine. When you talk about studying longevity, you set out to do so by reverse engineering longevity. What do you mean by reverse engineering it? So instead of looking for an answer in a Petri dish or test tube or some genetic code, uh, we work with demographers. I work under the ages of National Geographic, and uh, we uh, hired demographers, the population experts who, who were able to parse through worldwide census data identify these hotspots where people have the best chance of reaching a healthy age 95 and in many cases uh, over 100. And then uh, once we've identified these five areas, then 
going there using established scientific methodology, parse out what these places are doing that explains the extraordinary longevity. You know, to make it very simple, we're looking for common denominators. What, no matter if you're in Asia, Europe, Latin America, the United States, what are these populations who have achieved the outcomes we want? What are they doing in common? And elucidating those are wherein lies, I believe, the, the true secret to longevity at the current state of the science. Well, let's talk about these original five blue zones. And I'm going to say original five because uh, update here, 20 years later, we now have a sixth blue zone. But let's talk about what's changed in the original five over the course of time. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Sardinia. In Italy, uh, you got a chance to go back. How How is the crew now in Sardinia? How are they living? The good news is, for the most part, that blue zone has been preserved. Um, we we understand now that some of the things that are driving that, you know, when I first started this work, people were pretty sure it was genes. Because Sardinia, indeed, has a, a very pure gene pool. It was a Bronze Age culture that moved into the, 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 the highlands of Sardinia. Uh, beginning about 10,000 years ago, they originated what is today the Basque country. Very different culture than the rest of the Mediterranean, a matriarchal culture. And we were convinced it was genes, but um, we now realize that genes probably aren't, aren't driving. And one of the ways we know that is because um, the spouse of a centenarian is more likely to live longer than the sibling of a centenarian. So sibling has a lot more genetic overlap than a spouse does. So that really starts to point to a lifestyle or perhaps, you know, it could be microbiome. It could be a sharing of certain bacteria um, over time that, that, that achieves it. We don't know 100%, but we do see a very clear dietary pattern um, by looking at the villages and the geographical features of the villages we see that in steep villages, villages where the streets are steeply pitched, we see more uh, higher life expectancy than we do on the, on the flatter villages. So, um, you know, it's these, it's these uh, environmental or ecosystem factors that seem to be driving longevity more so than any behavioral change or, or genetic advantage. By and large, one of the, the common themes throughout the Blue Zones is that sense of purpose. And all of the footage that you've brought back and you've put in your books and in your other series, and I'm sure what's going to be featured in the, the Netflix docuseries as well, is just how happy these individuals are. And so I, I'm wondering, like, is that sense of community in Italy as strong as it is, as you pointed out, in other areas of the Blue Zone as well? Are they still beaming ear to ear, happy to get up every day with that sense of purpose? Well, there's a couple things. Um, they, they do have, a, I would say, a, a stronger societal bonds than we do. Uh, in order to survive, the, the highlands of Sardinia, well, the founder population of Sardinia which these people represent, uh, they they were all across Sardinia. And then the Phoenicians came and the Romans came and the Arabs came over time. And and they all it always meant subjugation. When new people came, it meant it's slavery, it meant conquest. And this founder population retreated up into the highlands. Uh, now the highest concentration of them are in just a cluster of five villages in the Nuoral and the Oliastra provinces of Sardinia. 
And to survive, they, they had to cooperate. They had to cooperate not only as families, extended families, but also as communities. And, and you, you see that today. I mean, these people really stick together. There's not lonely people. Everybody knows each other. Everybody supports each other. And that's one of the facets uh, that explains high life satisfaction. You know, you can't really measure happiness. No, they don't wake up beaming ear to ear necessarily, but they are more satisfied with their lives than, say, Americans are. They're in the top 20 percentile of, of uh, life satisfaction. I think the happy coincidences you see very clearly, not only in Sardinia, but also Blue Zones, that the same things that help produce uh, people are making it into their 90s and 100s make the journey pleasurable, uh, sense of purpose, strong community, sense of community, um, a, a, a strong sense of family, the healthy food. These are things that make life fun. And uh, it's not an injection or, or some uh, uh, longevity hack with some Silicon Valley billionaire spending millions of dollars doing. It's, um, it's the, 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 uh, the, the practices that we've evolved with over centuries that we know resonate with the human psyche and, and um, they, they make life pleasurable. And based off of your findings, I mean, and I'm sure that you've been asked this question to death, but I think it's still an important one to raise time and again, because by and large, I think that the majority of us haven't really contemplated this. How does the importance of having that sense of purpose, that strong bond in the community, compare to uh, what we think of as traditional health in terms of eating well? getting the right medication, even the right amount of sleep, that kind of stuff. How do the two compare? Can you even quantify? Well, Robert Butler, who was the founding director of the National Institutes on Aging, was the chief author of a study that looked at the retrospective writings of people over time. And uh, he found that people who could articulate their sense of purpose live about eight years longer than people who are rudderless in life. And not coincidentally, I believe that in, in blue zones, there's vocabulary for purpose. It manifests in different ways. In Okinawa, it's uh, ikigai. In, in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, it's plan de vida. Uh, in Sardinia, I would say it's their religion and their fidelity to their community. Uh, people wake up defending their community and practicing their faith. That's how, that's how a purpose manifests itself. And um, eight years, you know, think about that. I, I challenge you, you or anybody to tell me about one drug or one supplement that promises even one year of extra life expectancy, whereas knowing your sense of purpose is worth eight. And, um, you know, that translates. Purpose is kind of a vague thing for a lot of people. But what it really means, and where we translate this uh, wisdom into everyday life, it's about knowing your values. It's about knowing what you're good at, what you like to do, and an outlet that serves others. This is very common in all blue zones. And if you want to find that in America, purpose doesn't necessarily come with our culture. It takes that, in, that individual inventory uh, to understand what your gifts are and to make sure you're putting them to work either in your profession that's a minority of people, about 30% of Americans actually 
find purpose at work. But for most of us, it has to be in our community, some volunteer opportunity, or, or it can be just with our family. Do you consider your work with the Blue Zones to be your purpose? Because it doesn't take a big leap to say, man, this guy is really helping out a lot of people. That's got to give you a certain amount of drive to get up every morning. Yeah, I, you know, I'm an explorer. I, I'm not a health guru. And, and um, you know, I, I generally think people will say, I'm here to, you know, change the health of America. They're, they're usually trying to sell you something. Um, my background is in, in journalism and it's in, uh, exploration. I've been with National Geographic for over 20 years. And before that, I, I, I biked across continents and I had a company that solved ancient mysteries. So I really come to this as an investigator more so than an evangelist. But I do believe, and you know, getting to your question of purpose, yes. I would say if I had to distill my purpose or you know, what really, what, the reason I wake up in the morning, it's to travel the world finding and uh, exploring the traditional peoples and then distilling out the lessons they offer us to live, to live better. And sometimes it's happiness and for blue zones, it's longevity. Um, and that, you know, that I, that, that is my, my personal purpose. It's a great job. Oh, I, w- I would think so. I would think that um, as well as you've covered this and the fact that you're still doing it, uh, after so many years and are an explorer at heart. Um, I would think it's it's hard to envision you doing much of anything else that could bring you um, this sense of professional purpose. And you get to go out and see the world. You still get to explore, man. I mean, like, that's a pretty righteous job you got, Dan. Yeah, it's on expense account, too. <laughs> no, and I, I continue to do it. And, you know, I thought my cover story for National Geographic appeared in 2005, which is 18 years ago. My first book came out three years later. You know, and I thought I'd be done. And since then, I've written four books. You know, just the latest is The Secrets of Long Life, all about the the, uh, ever-evolving story and insights that come from Blue Zone. This is not a static investigation. But where I guess I've gotten the most sort of job satisfaction, I've been able to translate the insight from the Blue Zone and apply it to cities. Uh, uh, If you Google Blue Zones projects, we've been to over 72 cities in America. Uh, we are hired by insurance companies, and uh, we only go into cities where we have the support of the, uh, of the public sector, the mayor, city council, etc. And we've been very successful at applying wisdom from places like Sardinia in American cities and lowering the BMI and thereby lowering healthcare costs. And, uh, you know, in a, in a country where healthcare costs continue to skyrocket, we're now past the $4 trillion mark. Obesity and diabetes continue to be on the rise. We have found something that's bent the curve, and this comes directly from these traditional people that I managed to identify around the world in these so-called blue zones. You know what? Let me ask you this before we move on to, to the next blue zone. I mean, is it... How does one begin to make change in their own community, especially in these bigger urban communities, right? I'm not far from Washington, D.C., but we could just as easily be talking about L.A. or New York, where it's just this massive city. I mean, how can somebody affect change with the Blue Zones in those bigger, larger areas that are so densely populated? Well, the first thing to realize is doing nothing is going to cost a lot more than doing something. 
Um, secondly, it's very hard for an individual, unless the individual is very well wired and can pull people together. In, in fact, in each one of our Blue Zones project cities, it's usually boiled down to one person who said, we're going to make a change around here. And they're able to pull together the public sector and the private sector around Blue Zones. But um, the big idea here and the central premise of Blue Zones is uh, if you want to uh, live longer um, and get healthier, try to change your behavior, which is we're marketed to relentlessly. New diet, new exercise program, new superfood. None of those work. I defy anybody to find a, a behavioral modification program that has actually worked in the United States at, 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 for any amount of time beyond a year. What does work is reshaping our ecosystem, our environment. So when our city, when we go into cities, we work with city council to help them find consensus around policies that make healthy food, which in our, this case is whole plant-based food, cheaper and more accessible over the junk food to make the uh, uh, favor the pedestrian over the motorist. So walking and cleaner air ensue to make smoking more difficult and non-smoking more celebrated. Uh, we certify restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and schools um, when they make policy changes and they change their designs to unconsciously nudge people into moving more, eating better, socializing more, and knowing their sense of purpose and living out their sense of purpose. So, you know, how does an individual do that? That's tough. You can come to the Blue Zones website and um, click on Blue Zones projects and and uh, see if you uh, see the process necessary. It's not impossible. Like I said, 72 American cities, including Fort Worth, Texas, Naples, Florida. We're now starting in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, um, and uh, Jacksonville, uh, Florida. These are all cities who you know bound together, private sector and public sector, said we're going to change the environment to set people up for success. And you know what? It works. Uh, that is fantastic. I mean, you get a Texas city in there. You got, I mean, none of the cities you, you mentioned there are particularly small. I mean, those are some pretty substantial cities here in the U.S. I think that that's fantastic. I definitely want to keep tabs on that. I know that there are a lot of exam roomies uh, who live near there, or if not within the city boundaries themselves, who just heard that and are like, "Woo, I got to get on board with that project. So we're going to keep tabs on that. But let's shift south here. Let's go to uh, Costa Rica here. And uh, Nicoya, one of the original five as well. What has changed in Nicoya over the last couple of decades, Dan? Well, we have a little bit better data. We can see that a centenarian over time there, a male, has about an eightfold better chance of reaching 100 than uh, in, a, in the United States, for example. That uh, w we have a two and a half fold or oak of. Uh, People in Nicoya have a 2.5 better chance of reaching a healthy age 95 in general. And um, what's extraordinary about that is they spend one fifteenth the amount we do on healthcare. Um, so this notion that you have to be rich or you have to spend lots of money on expensive drugs and fancy hospitals, it, it's just not it. The clear lesson that emerges is universal healthcare and good public health is a far better investment at producing a healthy population than a you know curing cancer or, or our pursuit of curing cancer, which isn't working very well, or 
or um, curing heart disease once it once it once it takes hold, or curing type two diabetes once it takes hold. Uh, in Costa Rica, they have this very ingenious system called ATOP, which is basically uh, basic health teams that that uh, go in every neighborhood, visit every home once a year. They show up with your records. They look in your backyard for signs of infectious disease, standing water, et cetera, that breed mosquitoes that, that spread uh, malaria and cholera and so forth. Go in your refrigerator and look at what you've been eating uh, to identify sources of chronic disease, the sugar-sweetened beverages and the processed meats we know are driving disease in this country. And they make a, they help make a change before it shows up in the emergency room 15 years later. It's a very clear message that our policymakers aren't getting yet. We hope we eventually do. Uh, I'm working a little bit with uh, Congressman Dean Phillips on, on a bill that might start paying attention to these things. You know, th- those are very clear lessons. Absolutely. And, uh, I think that's something that we absolutely want to keep our our eye on as well. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know that you've got this whirlwind here, uh, so maybe you know another ten minutes or so. A couple more blue zones here, man, before we we talk about the new one, Loma Linda. So we were talking about the U.S. there, obviously. Um, I loved the segment where I think the woman's name was Marge, and she was still out there driving at a ripe old age, and she's barreling down the highway, and that really encapsulated what Loma Linda. Uh, was. How are things in Loma Linda today? Is it still this long living community or, you know, how are the people? Yeah, Adventists are still living longer than their American counterparts. They're doing it largely, I think, because they take their diet directly from the Bible. Genesis, um, pretty clearly, you know, God um, prescribes the diet for the humans as every tree that bears fruit, every plant that bears seed, and green plants. And the Adventists are more likely to adhere to that plant-based diet than, than other religions, and I believe that explains a lot of it. They have a Saturday Sabbath, which um, separates them a little bit from mainstream community, but better enables them to stick to this plant-based diet, uh, to support each other. We know that people who belong to religion and show up, they tend to live longer than people who don't have religion. We don't exactly know why, but it seems to work. And um, they're doing a great job. I, you know, I wish Loma Linda uh, would pay more attention to its built environment. They, they've let uh, traffic run amok there. Uh, but they have a very good university that is probably one of the top plant-based uh, uh, institutions, uh, hospital systems in America. The Adventist health system is a phenomenal health system that really brings their values to their to their care and they produce results. And what about our good friends over in Greece and Acaria? How are they today, Dan? Yes, uh, Roman Legrand, a colleague there, has done a survey of people 90 years old and um, very recently, people over 90, and found some interesting things. I know there's a lot of uh, negative press coming out about uh, alcohol consumption, but it's pretty clear that uh, there, people are drinking every day. Over 80% of people 90 have drank most days of their life, moderately, red wine, and they're still sharp and vital. So it's pretty clear from that example that uh, moderate drinking is okay, uh, or it doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive with living a long, healthy life. Um, 
But also you see very clearly that the longest lived people are taking naps. Uh, the high consumption of olive oil, I know that goes against some um, uh, dogma in, within the plant-based community, now oil, but uh, the number one predictor of, of uh, uh, low mortality after age 65 is olive oil consumption there. Um, there are a variety of herbs, especially rosemary is emerging as kind of, for lack of a better term, a, a longevity herb uh, when it comes to lowering inflammation and um, uh, antioxidants and perhaps a mild diuretic. Um, so th th this is a very rich place to mine insights. And um, what I found most extraordinary about Ikaria is the young people are embracing the culture of their grandparents and preserving it more actively than in any other of the other blue zones. They understand the treasure, which is uh, their uh, traditional culture, their traditional way of eating and connecting and festivals. And instead of letting the standard American diet come in and destroy their way of eating and, um, you know, sort of an American way of living come in and, and uh, replace what's worked for them for at least 2,000 years, they're, they're preserving it. And, and I applaud them for that. And that's an unfortunately brilliant segue to the last of the original Blue Zones, which is Okinawa, which you actually refer to in The Secrets for Living Longer as a fading Blue Zone. So clearly not the update there that people were hoping for. You write about this influx, the influence of the standard American diet really taking over there, and it's just wreaking havoc. As a matter of fact, you write that you fear with this elderly generation, when they fade away, so too will the Blue Zones altogether for that region. That's not the update we were really hoping no, for, No, it's not the one. By the way, I've been going there since 1999. And when I was there in 1990, it was producing the longest-lived, healthiest population on the planet. And now it's among, if not the least healthy prefecture in Japan of 47 prefectures. And the only explanation I can offer is since I've been going there, an absolute forest of junk food restaurants has uh, grown up around the American food base and proliferated throughout the island. The McDonald's, the KFCs, the uh, A&Ws. Um, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see this beautiful uh, food tradition completely paved over by the crap that's driving so much chronic disease in the United States. And at the same time, among the centenarians, almost none of them owned cars uh, traditionally. They walked. They lived in villages. They walked over to see their neighbor. And now increasingly, you see that uh, island crisscross with uh, major freeways. And uh, the car is the predominant form of transportation now there. And it's uh, you know, as people get off their feet and behind the steering wheel, their uh, obesity rises, their di type 2 diabetes rises, inactivity sets in. They're making all the same mistakes that we're making in the United States. And the tragedy of that is at the same time, a generation earlier, it offered a format, a blueprint that clearly delivered health and longevity and centenarians. And, and instead of embracing that and preserving it, uh, they're throwing it out in the garbage and uh, in favor of the uh, sparkly things that our culture offers. And I wonder if you write about this a little bit in the book, does this lack of adoption have more to do with the fact that 
the younger generation there is not adopting uh, the ways of their elders? Or is it the fact that there's such a large military contingent from the United States that also happens to populate Okinawa? Which do you think is really kind of driving this in the wrong direction? Well, I, all I can tell you is that we have a huge base there. and uh, You know, the, the Americans there had, have a, a much bigger taste for uh, fast foods and you know they want the foods that they're they're um, familiar with back home not necessarily in the okinawan sweet potatoes and tofu um, so it's introduced and, and by the way those foods are engineered to be absolutely intoxicating uh, bliss point uh, french fries and hamburgers and spam you know they're full of fat and salt and we're evolutionarily hardwired to crave those foods and once you develop a taste for it, it's very hard to go back to the relatively bland um, uh, Goya Champuru, their stir fry, or, or you know, delicious artesian tofu or, or sweet potatoes, which have driven their health and longevity traditionally. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tempting to point a finger and say, you know, there's a villain here. There's not really a villain. Villain perhaps is, uh, Americans, uh, corporations imperative to drive shareholder value and, you know, the health of people be damned. Uh, but there, you know, it's, it's just enterprise and quote unquote progress. And until we realize that it, it's, um, uh, it's not really what we want and governments start changing policy and a business responds by creating healthier choices meaningfully healthy choices not just labeled healthy choices uh we're we're gonna see um the the uh, sickness that america invented increasingly exported to places that have traditionally been healthy but here is the good news let's let's cheer up the conversation a little bit more whereas we have one blue zone that's fading we now have a sixth blue zone, which is very exciting. You write about this in the book. And when you said that it was Singapore, I was kind of like, wow, I was not expecting that. So what is happening in Singapore that the rest of the world, save five other places, really isn't tapped into yet? Yeah, when you know, when I first proposed Singapore as a model, the, the editor, my editor at National Geographic killed the story. And uh, five years later, uh, they came back and, and made it a cover story. So. Um, I've, I've been studying Singapore for about 15 years now. I, 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 I met and interviewed the, the a minister there, Lee Kuan Yew, who's, he and his ministers are largely responsible for arguably the most successful experiment uh, in, in building an economy and manufacturing a blue zone or a healthy place in the world. In 1965, it had a life expectancy of about 25 years less than it has today, and now it is producing the longest lived healthy people in the world, whether near the top or on the top, depends what list you look at, but uh, significantly 10 good years longer than Americans are living. And it's not a mistake and it's not some ancient culture. This is a melting pot of Indians, Malay and Chinese people uh, thrown into this melting pot. But uh, Lee Kuan Yew and his government has shown that you can you know, if you have the courage to stand up to business interests and lobbyists, uh, you can curb junk food. Uh, in Singapore, their soda pop has about 20% less sugar than the same soda in the United Kingdom. 
Um, they subsidize healthy brown rice, and you could pay full price for white, white rice. Um, they saw very early uh, the health consequences of letting traffic run amok, as we have in America. Uh, we spend way too much time in our cars. Singapore, you're going to spend two to three times more for your automobile, largely because of taxes. But that money, that tax money, is then spent on a very efficient, fast, and safe um, subway system, uh, public transportation. Nobody's more than a couple hundred feet, a couple hundred yards from a, a, a stop. Um, there are covered walkways. 40% of Singapore is covered in green spaces, so it's very it's cooler and it's aesthetically pleasing. So that draws people to uh, want to walk. It's a very safe place to be. And some of the more overlooked uh, uh, characteristics that drive low life expectancy, uh, drug use, it, it, uh, the opioid epidemic, and the 100,000 or so Americans that die every year from drug overdoses uh, are driving down life expectancy perhaps as much as a year. Um, in Singapore, uh, there are very severe repercussions from uh, uh, dealing in opiates. You can be put to death uh, if you're if you're a drug dealer. Uh, you put in prison for just 15 grams of opiates. Uh, government is closely regulating drugs. It's very hard to get a fentanyl, for example, and you know very hard on on on, on drugs is is you. Know, producing a great outcome. Only about 18 people have died from, died from illegal overdoses last year in, in Singapore. Same thing with guns. I know guns is a very controversial subject in America. You know, we believe we should have the right to own guns and handguns and assault rifles, etc. Uh, and But we have, you know, over 55,000 Americans die every year in, in uh, violent drug uh, uh, gun deaths or accidents. Meanwhile, uh, Singapore, they decided that individuals should not own guns at all. And as a result, they only about three people have died in gun deaths. And um, so you ask yourself, what's a safer society? Well, if you look at the hard statistics, Singapore is clearly safer when it comes to gun violence and gun deaths. And America should be paying attention to what's working in a place that manifests manifestly produces healthy um, uh, longevity and um, taking some lessons instead of continuing to do the same things over and over. It's it's fascinating. And I'm listening to you and I'm hanging on every word and I'm thinking like, this is definitely a nutrition show, but what you're really eloquently pointing out here is it's not one thing, right? It's not the red wine. It's not the olive oil. It's not uh, just diet. It's the sense of purpose. It's the laws. It's the lifestyle. It's all of this that rolls into one. And that is what creates the blue zone. So when you're, you're creating this and you're trying to explain it to somebody, and I feel like a lot of times we have this kind of reductionist mentality where it always has to be that one thing. There's always that one answer. And once you're able to crack that one answer, then suddenly everything falls into place. But we're talking about a really in a lot of cases, these communities are built quite simplistically, but nonetheless, longevity is a very complex issue. So, I mean, it, it's not just one thing. It's it's a million little things, to borrow that phrase. A am I right in assuming that? I think interventions are, I, I think of it as silver buckshot as opposed to silver bullet, but you, you can reduce it um, somewhat. 
first of all, what yields a healthier population is mostly eating whole food plant-based. It's moving naturally. It's um, moving all day long as opposed to exercise. That means walking to work and school and having gardens and not having machines do all of our work. It's having strong social connections, a circle of good friends and an environment where it's easy to bump into people. And fourth, it's knowing your sense of purpose and living, living that purpose and not waking up existentially stressed every day. The way to deliver it, and this is where it gets simpler, is that instead of spending time, money, and resources on trying to change our behavior, as we do in America, it's instead of trying to constantly pursue health, which is almost always a long-term failure, the real secret is shifting the focus to changing our environment so that the healthy choice is the easy choice so that it facilitates people eating a plant-based diet, moving more, uh, socializing more. And that is largely has to do with, um, you know, our, our, our cities and, and our counties and our states uh, prioritizing the pedestrian over the driver, uh, um, curbing junk food and junk food marketing, junk food prevalence and, and taking the subsidies from junk food and moving it over to healthy food. Uh, and then making it easier for people to connect face to face as opposed to, you know, electronically or, or implode into our, uh, uh, homes. You know, people are a lot more social in connected neighborhoods than they are in suburbs. And, um, uh, municipal governments have lots of levers to pull on, on, uh, creating healthy neighborhoods or creating sprawling suburbs. Um, so there's a lot we can do. For the most part, we're aiming at the wrong target, I believe, in America. Uh, but these blue zones offer the right target, and they offer a, a very uh, cohesive and cogent way to to um, uh, hit those targets and, and produce healthier populations. Two more for you. Uh, first, which of these cultures do you most identify with? Is it the Okinawan culture? Is it uh, Greece? Is it Loma Linda? Which one really speaks most to Dan Butner? I have a wonderful group of friends, uh, almost like family in Ikaria. I almost feel that's my second home. And uh, I also resonate a lot with the Costa Ricans in the Nicoya Peninsula. Uh, those two, by the way, are probably the easiest to visit and see the Blue Zone. And, um, yeah, and that's very personal, by the way. It's, it's, it's not at all objective. That's why I wanted to ask. I wanted the Dan Butner opinion, my friend. And then the final one, because this is such a food show, and even though we did just talk about reduction a little bit, let's talk about the Blue Zones food guidelines. So if somebody wants to start in their first step, and if they're listening to this show, it's probably going to be the first step is to change their diet. What are some of the foods that you have found in your research that really have really hinted toward getting started toward that healthier, longer life? Yeah, I know the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine are very evidence-based and they arrived at a certain way of eating. I arrived at slightly different. Um, we, If you want to know what a centenarian ate to live to be 100, you have to know what they were eating throughout their lives as children, young adults, retirees, and now. And you can't just ask them because they don't remember. So we got at that by aggregating dietary surveys done in all five blue zones over the past 90 years. They go back to 1930 or so. And um, when you do a meta-analysis, what emerges very clearly in all five blue zones, they're eating 90 
to 100% whole food plant-based. Now, that's changing. So if you go to Sardinia today, you're not going to see it because of this, you know, thanks to the American food culture crashing on their shores in the last decade or so. But um, uh, the five pillars of every longevity diet are whole grains, greens, tubers like sweet potatoes, nuts, and beans. Uh, every Blue Zone culture is eating about a cup of beans a day, which is probably associated with an extra four years of life expectancy. Uh, of course, they're eating their seasonal fruits and vegetables on top of that. Um, but, but um, you know, the big lesson to Americans are none of these foods are expensive. Uh, you can eat a very healthy diet by shopping on the, the you know, the lower shelves in your grocery store, uh, the beans and the grains, and you know, it's easy to gussy them up and, make, and taste good. Um, you know, they, they have eaten some meat. I know that's an inconvenient um, uh, finding, but, but a tenth the amount of meat that Americans eat, or 20th even. Uh, no cow's dairy uh, of any significance, traditionally speaking. And um, uh, a lot less fish than you would think as well. Uh, so, I mean, the clear guidelines, you know, for, for populations in the Blue Zones brand, we promote a whole food plant-based diet. Um, if you're eating in the Blue Zones, that's what you're eating. We know people want to treat themselves uh, once in a while with some other foods that are less healthy, and, and, and we don't chastise them, and we don't judge them. Um, but for the most part, we, we're, we're big believers that we solve a lot of problems by mostly eating a whole food plant-based diet. Love it, man. That's a great way to end it. And I'll, I'll just add to it that you also write in the book about, you know, we turn to supplements so much for our nutrition, and yet there's no evidence to back up the fact that a supplement is going to help extend your life. In fact, you point out, it can even lead to a shorter life, and yet we spend billions and billions of dollars every single year on these, whereas we could simplify it, turn to the kitchen, start living that blue zone lifestyle, and do our, ourselves a world of good. Uh, man, congratulations on the release of the book, The Blue Zones, Secrets for Living Longer, August 29th. There's a link to pick up your copy right now in the show description or in the episode notes. Of course, you can also visit your local book retailer and then hop on Netflix August 30th, Live to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zone, four-part docuseries. Man, uh, the Blue Zones are on the rise and thank you for all of your time, your effort, your energy, your years of research, and you're just continuing to do such good in the world. And a man that can talk fashion. Dan, you are the man. <laughs> well, we first met and bonded over your shoes. So, <laughs> you know, I've always aspired to your level of footwear. I wear sneakers and, you know, you wear cool shoes. Eventually, I'll get there. Anytime you want to go <laughs> shoe shopping, I'm more than happy to take you, my friend. My treat. <laughs> uh, a bromance is born. And so it is. Dan Butner, <laughs> thank you, my friend. All right, Chuck. Good talking to you. And thank you very much. And you guys, I love you. I support you. Keep doing your good work. You know, throughout the conversation with Dan, I couldn't help but to wonder whether we're really unlocking secrets to living longer, or perhaps the blue zones are simply remembering or causing us to remember how things once were. So it's like looking to the past for a longer and healthier future but they definitely have cracked the code, new or old. It's something to aspire to. 
What a great time. I love me some Dan Buettner. He's just a ton of fun. And the new book is absolutely fantastic. You're definitely going to want to get your hands on a copy of that. And every time that I speak with Dan, every time that longevity comes up, my thoughts turn to not just nutrition, but that sense of community and sense of purpose and how that really does help keep us around and thriving. There's the thought that, well, I'm 80 whatever years old, and so this is how life should be. I should be sitting in a chair, watching TV all day, just waiting, waiting out my time. But that's so normalized now, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can be 80 whatever, 90 whatever, 100 whatever, and still out there living your best life. It's a choice. And one of the biggest choices you can make is to surround yourself with events, activities, people, purpose, things that you love, a reason to get up in the morning and unplug from the TV. See the world out there. Continue to live your life. And so if you have that purpose, if you have that drive, that's going to help a lot of other things click. And maybe that's the first domino to fall because you know that in order to get up and feel that love and that energy and that passion and inspiration, you wanna get up in the morning so you're going to do the things, the other things that you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can see the sunrise tomorrow and the next day and the next day, well past the age of 80 something, 90 something, maybe even 100 and something. Community. It is so important. And I feel like that's kind of what we're building here with the exam room. We all get together, of course, for the live shows on Wednesday, the exam room live, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. But I feel like just listening to the podcast together and learning together, raising our health IQs together, that's a community. That is my purpose. A big part of it is to be able to bring all of this to you so that you know that you are not alone in your desire to get healthier. And we're giving you all the tools that you need, hopefully, to be successful with this. That's what it's about. That's my drive. You all, the exam roomies, are my community. And I do love each and every one of you. And so we're building a community online with the podcast and certainly would love to continue to build that community in person. I love it every single time that I get the opportunity to meet with you guys. And so that's why I really hope to fill the house on November 7th in D.C. at the National Press Club when we honor the Esselstyn family for our next big exam room live and in person. It's going to be really cool. We're going to be giving the entire family an award, looking at their legacy, thanking them for their contributions, talking about their purpose, talking about Anne and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn both well into their golden years and going strong and out there working, gardening, staying fit, just the Energizer Bunny would not think in a million years that she's 80-something, late 80-something. And Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn still biking well into his golden years as well, doing his thing. So I'm so thrilled that they're both going to be on hand. But of course, Rip and Jane as well. And hopefully you too. It's a night to honor their contributions to health. A night to honor 
the entire family and their legacy. And we're going to have some great food and some great fun. And I hope that you can join us there. November 7th, Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club, just a stone's throw from the White House, as a matter of fact. And you can get your tickets right now at pcrm.org slash events. There's a link also in the episode notes. And don't forget also September 23rd. Before that, I'm going to be in Omaha speaking at the Healthy for a Lifetime conference along with Dr. Milton Mills and Ella Majors. She's one of the world's top personal trainers, according to Bodybuilding.com and Shape Magazine. She's also a coach, an author, and the founder of, get this, Sexy Fit Vegan. That's pretty cool. Also, Dr. Micah Yu will be on hand. Dietitian Angelina Stovall, Amos, she's going to be there. And Food for Life instructor extraordinaire Melissa Sherlock will also be there. And there's also going to be a special dinner honoring, get this, Esther and Ben Loveridge. And Esther, man, you want to talk about it never being too late. Check this out. Esther begins eating a plant-based diet when she's 72. She's having all kinds of health issues. Her knees are aching. She's scheduled to get a knee replacement surgery. But then she starts eating a plant-based diet. And by the time she's 75, Esther's lost 130 pounds. Her pre-diabetes, gone. Her medications, all five of them, she doesn't need them anymore. Diverticulitis, that's out of there. GERD is out of there. No more constipation. And oh, by the way, the icing on the cake here, that knee replacement surgery, didn't wind up needing that either. She started when she was 72. So what's your excuse, right? What an amazing story. Man, proof that it is never too late. So I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to speak with them and hopefully seeing you there as well. So you can pick up your tickets at healthyforalifetime.org or click that link in the episode notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and give the exam room by the Physicians Committee a follow or a like wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you do, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. That's how we can continue to help make the world a healthier place and continue to keep the exam room as one of the most consumed nutrition podcasts anywhere on the planet today. That is thanks to you. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to my guy, Dan Butner, classy, loving some longevity, bringing the blue zones to light, bringing forth the knowledge of a sixth blue zone and lessons that we can all follow to lead a longer, healthier, happier, fuller kind of life. So I'm going to go figure out what I'm going to do with my extra 14 years. (laughs) For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. 